Hello and welcome to Undercommon Taste, a podcast where we create and discuss homebrew content for tabletop role-playing games. That's right. Today, folks, we got a cage match for you. No kobolds barred. I'm Ian Woodworth, and I'm joined by my co-host, James Daly. And in case you couldn't guess, we are starting on our second homebrew showcase character, and this one is going to be a kobold. We're going to start off with the race today and get into the class next time. I'm kind of excited about the kobold. Again, the kobold, stat-wise from the wizards, is kind of underwhelming. That says there's so much potential with them. I mean, these can be just a really fun character to work with. They've got so much that they could be. I really think they get overlooked as just kind of cannon fodder, which is unfortunate. So we got to beat these guys up a bit. Yeah, I have a soft spot in my heart for kobolds. I love kobolds. I think they are criminally underused in most D&D games. You usually only run into them when you're first to third, maybe fourth level party. They're like CR one quarter monsters. They have a whole five, six hit points. And you really don't get a whole lot of utility out of them just running them the way that they are in the monster manual you sadly don't they are designed to be the low level cannon fodder they are little squishy packets of xp that wizards threw out kind of like when we talked with the orcs in an earlier episode where they just needed a baddie to throw at you so there they go they did the same thing with the kobolds just to a lot lower level kobolds and goblins are on about the same level but even goblins are given more than kobolds are. And I think that kobolds really just got the shaft when it comes to what they are given when Volo's Guide came out and you could pick one up as a playable race. The kobolds, and we'll talk about this a bit more, weren't always reptilian. They were originally in the original D&D considered goblinoids, which is weird. They changed between first edition and advanced D&D. But even in the original edition, they were basically considered even lesser than goblins. They were basically like the goblins' weak, crappy cousin, if there was such a thing, because the goblins are kind of the weak, crappy cousin to everything else. And one of the things is most of these creatures, goblins, hobgoblins, kobolds, bugbears, they're all derived from classic European fairy tale monsters. And they're all often more or less interchangeable in those old fairy tales. The bugbear a little less so than the others, but most of them are diminutive folk that are often sort of pranksters. They tended to not really be very malicious in many cases, but they're the diminutive trickster folk. Now, I'm surprised... You haven't referenced this, or maybe you didn't know this, but the kobold, there is actually a kobold spirit creature that's in German folklore. I mean, they still kind of hold to that to a point. Fun fact, I actually have a picture from when my wife and I went on our honeymoon in Germany visiting relatives, and uh, there was actually a kobold salon in one of the towns that we went to, so I got a picture of that. That is awesome. I will say the one thing wizards did do for the kobold, as much as they kind of crapped on them with the stats, they did them horrible disservices that. They did give them a kind of a good bit of lore, which makes them really interesting and kind of fun to mess with. So we'll go into that a bit more about how they relate. Again, they have that evil stat, which I'm sure we're going to throw right out like we did with the orcs. But as much as the wizards neglected giving them anything useful, they did give them a fun bit of lore we can play with. So that really makes things flavorful. Especially with Volo's Guide to Monsters. There's actually a big seven, eight page section in here just about kobolds and kobold society, how a kobold lair is organized. 
I haven't read up a whole lot on the older versions of the Kobold, but the 5e Kobold is a fun little race to deal with. I mean, they're basically just angry little toddlers. I mean, they're three feet tall and 30 pounds at most. So They're they... three feet tall on a good day. If you kind of want a size comparison to what a kobold is, if you think a boxer, but maybe on the lighter side. The dog, but, not a not fist a fighter, dog. yes. My bulldogs, which you might hear in the background today, are about the size of a kobold and probably twice as heavy. I mean, these things are kind of tiny. If you're a Blizzard fan, a Zergling would be a great size for a kobold. You know, they're going to be just big enough to really give your ankles a good chew on. But I'm dead serious whenever I say my daughter is right around three feet tall and 30 pounds. And that's on the big side for a kobold. Kobolds are somewhere around two and a half to three feet tall, 20 to 30 pounds, according to the layout that they've got in Volo's Guide. Yeah, so I mean, really, that fits about as tall, about as fun to walk into a room full of, and about as destructive, possibly. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, you have no idea. (laughs) <laughs> I've only got one of them. I, I can't imagine the people at daycare who have to watch a room full of eight of them at a time. Yeah, you think eight at a time. Again, you go back to like original D&D or advanced D&D, and you're supposed to walk into like anywhere between 10 to 400 of these things at a time. Oh, yeah. I mean, they were supposed to be like just piled up, hip deep, just packed full of shiny, bitey cobalt teeth. Yeah, it, it was... A standard tribe of kobolds is going to run you about 50 to 75 kobolds. Right. If, if you have the whole lair. So what you're looking for is like a two to three year old's birthday party with a lot of soda and ice cream. Oh, sweet Jesus. <laughs> That's not going to end well for anyone. Probably not. But I do. I, I really love kobolds. They have a ton of potential for NPCs for different encounters that you might have. In my homebrew world, I know I reference it a lot, but in my homebrew world, I've got a tribe of kobolds that have basically been adopted by an ancient brass dragon. That would make sense, and we can talk about kobold lore a bit later. But they've been adopted by this ancient brass dragon, and so this particular tribe, they're a little bit bigger than your standard kobold, a little more muscular, a little more fleshed out, because we have this ancient dragon who is essentially uplifting a tribe of kobolds. And that seems fitting, because again, the kobolds are going to basically worship this dragon, so the dragon's going to give them a little little extra stuff. That all ties in, like I said, we'll talk about kobold lore here in a bit. So yeah, do you want to go ahead and get started on stats and kind of go from there, or... I'd really like to talk a little bit about how kobolds fit in first. Okay, yeah, let's please. We have to understand a little bit on how kobolds exist in game before we go and address how to build them out, because we need to make sure that the things that we're giving them fit with the themes that they have. That is perfectly fair. I can follow with that. Okay. So there's two things that I associate with kobolds, and that's diminutive size and traps. Yeah, so they're tiny little trap makers. They're going to be the thing that's going to break your ankles and screw up your die if you're an adventuring party, because that's kind of what they do. Which, again, makes them terribly, terribly fun. That's the thing that sets them apart from the goblinoid races in terms of how they're portrayed in-game. Kobolds are clever little things. They don't take the simplest option. They don't brute force it. They set up a whole bunch of little traps and murder holes and what have you, and they whittle down their enemy 
Yeah, you may take down 20, 30 of them on your way in, but they're going to make you pay for every single step you take into their lair. Now, that is a great thing about kobolds, is they do have a couple brain cells they can bang together and make a few sparks. And two, your your kobolds tend to be tunnel dwellers. They tend to be more, not quite subterranean, but definitely underground. Well, that's um, what subterranean means, James. Well, not entirely subterranean. They can be on the surface, but they... They tend to be underground, yes. Yeah, they tend to be, but not entirely. So they're not blind, but they are sensitive to sunlight. They do have a good sense of their natural surrounding. One of the things I absolutely love, like I talked about, where D&D gave them such good lore. And one thing I will fight to keep when we build our kobolds is kobolds absolutely hate gnomes. Absolutely, yes. It is a creator-god animosity. Yes, you go through and supposedly, like, from the original D&D, they said, hey, there's something with creator gods. Throughout different versions, they kind of fleshed this out that Glitterhand, the god of the gnomes. Yeah, girl Glittergold. Yeah, stole an artifact from, and I can't for the life of me remember the name of the kobold god who was a dragon. Kirtlemock. Whom? Kirtlemock. Kirtlemock, yes. Stole an artifact from Kirtlemock, so Kirtlemock had sent the kobolds to get this artifact back. At some point, Glitterhand actually has trapped Kirtlemock underground permanently or semi-permanently so the kobolds are kind of on this eternal quest to find their god and unbury him so he can exact his revenge Kirtlemock apparently in through 5e lore was a lieutenant or a servant of Tiamat so now you get that tie in with your dragon thing but they absolutely in every single edition kobolds change wildly from hey they're goblinoid to now they're draconic to all the things but no matter what kobolds came in large numbers they made traps they hate gnomes those are your three fundamental kobold features yeah and i am perfectly okay with kobolds hate gnomes but yeah if i'm remembering correctly according to lore kirtlemock is trapped in a labyrinth of some sort yeah and he's like semi-permanently buried underground i think it's somewhere in it was 4E or 5E where they brought that. Or maybe 3.5. See, here, here is a block of text on Kirtlemock in Follow's Guide. It says, The god of kobolds was a vassal of Tiamat. When the gnome god Garl Glittergold stole a treasure from Tiamat's horde, she sent Kirtlemock to retrieve it. Garl lured his pursuer into a maze-like cavern, then collapsed the exits behind him, trapping Kirtlemock for all eternity. I think as much as the wizards totally dumpstatted the kobold, they did give them some really, really fun lore. And they also gave them some interesting little bits on how to utilize them in a campaign world. Specifically, they're suggesting these guys are good with their hands, they are subterranean, and all of these other little aspects of them, they're hardy, they're resilient. They're still going to do lots of stupid stuff and get themselves killed, but they are a hardy, resilient race in and of themselves and so they make excellent sewer workers and in the campaign that you're running where i am actually playing a kobold character that is his job he is in charge of sewer maintenance for the city and he is the guy that works with not in an official capacity but works with the palace whenever they have something or someone that needs to disappear so he's able to take it and disappear it through the sewers and that is a great way to have your kobolds interact with your society i kind of get like almost a ninja turtle vibe with them you know the old <laughs> yeah. in the new york sewers i could totally see teenage mutant ninja kobolds kind of running through have some monk kobolds rocking that out another really good thing about the kobolds that one of the reasons why we were leaning more 
more towards Rogue with this character and in general. They make a really good ambush predator. I kind of think of basically land piranha, like one or two by themselves, eh. But again, you get 50 or 60 of them, they're going to strip a cow in minutes. I can't remember, you mentioned whenever we were talking about this, the little dinosaurs from Jurassic Park. The comfy, yeah, I believe they were in the movie Jurassic Park 2. But yeah, yeah, they were just a small, they looked kind of cutesy, but they had some sharp ravenous teeth and they swarmed things and that's kind of what they did. And so I love that. I've seen some people try to beef up their kobolds well so by saying, okay, Here's kobolds are not going to have much in the way, but they gave them a lot as far as tactic planning. And so now, you know, they have everybody running through tunnels and now they've set up their traps to where their traps are going to be effective for a larger or a higher level party. So, you know, if your mage wants to cast fireball, sure, go ahead. You're going to take out some kobolds and you're taking out half your party with splash damage as well. Or you're going to have to get file single through through a bunch of dark traps or things like that. So again, kobolds, while they're supposed to be a really low level, they were given a lot of things we can work with and kind of beef them up quite a bit as well. And that brings us to the story of Tucker's kobolds, which is the story that most D&D players associate with kobolds. And while the details have varied depending on which version I've heard, Basically, the story goes that there was a higher level party that decided that they were going to take this contract and go into this kobold lair and clear out the kobolds because they're these little rinky-dink low-level creatures and they're high-level PCs and they figured that, oh, we'll be able to do this without any issue. And that's where the DM just threw the book at his players spike traps, pitfalls, needle traps, anything that has a pressure plate would be good in a kobold lair because they're so tiny that they can set it up to where they're not going to set it off, but anything that weighs more than about 40-50 pounds will. They can do lots of pit traps where they lay something across it that a kobold can run across without breaking it, but something that weighs 40-50 pounds will break through and fall into the pit. Anything with tripwires that's going to drop things and seal up tunnels. They're going to have little secondary tunnels that run along the main chambers with openings that they can come up to the opening with a crossbow and shoot someone through the opening and then flee down the tunnel. They're going to have the ability to basically set up checkpoints, set up little palisades at every entrance to the tunnel so that they have a fallback position where they can skirmish with the party and then fall back to the next position hold it until it looks like it's gonna fall and then fall back to the next position and just keep bleeding them i kind of like picture almost like the beaches of normandy and d-day type setup you know where it's just the next defensive line the next defense and you literally have to pay for every inch of ground you take and again the the story of tucker's kobolds varies depending on the version that i've heard but i don't remember if he actually had players die from this or if he just had some of his high level players almost die but you have a party i think they're like 16 17th level players and they almost got wiped in a layer full of kobolds yeah so again just that lore for life of me blanked on the dragon's name again uh correct correct them is the kobold god so they tie in really, really well. They've got their god, Kirtlemok, so they don't explain how or why they're draconic. If there was a missing link, like if there was like some weird evolutionary tree between the dragon can and the goblinoids, I'm 
pretty sure the kobolds would fill in that gap. But again, with their lore with Kurtlemock, that's always been one of those big things. So that's one of the reasons why I love with your world building, your lore that your clans of kobold have found a bronze dragon that has decided to take them in. I like that as well. Granted, though, with yours, a bronze dragon versus a chromatic dragon, but again, that's that whole lawful, you know, I still can't follow that every species of a race is going to be evil. That does not sit well with me at all. That is something that we are probably going to be, why am I saying probably, that we are going to be getting rid of once we get into the actual character. So yeah, I can see a chromatic dragon, you know, picking up some kobolds, and that makes sense. Because again, they are infatuated with anything basically draconic. They worship dragons. They see themselves as little dragons or, or wanting basically to be little dragons. So that ties in really well. They've got the underground dwelling. They've got the lore. They've got just the ability to make stuff. So I mean, even when you deal with goblins in the game scenario, goblins attack everything by just throwing wave after wave after wave of meat shield at you. And here's 15 other stabby things. The kobolds, they'll attack, they'll advance, they retreat, they use pack tactics, so they won't attack just one at a time, but they'll swarm so they can surround something, they get flanking. So, I mean, they just, the way they were designed to be an intelligent attacker really gives them a lot of extra flavor. They're very aware of their surroundings. It has to deal with that whole pack tactics thing. There's a lot of workable pieces that I think once we start putting everything together could really make a very fun character. And then if you want to actually role play or do some background story for your character, really gives you a lot of handles to grab on to work with. Okay, so let's go ahead and get into the stats and start actually working on the mechanics of the kobolds. I'm going to start at the top and we're going to work our way through. Okay. So, starting off, uh, ability score increase. Your dex is increased by 2, and your strength is reduced by 2. Kobolds are the only other race that I can think of, aside from the orcs that we mentioned last time, in the current published material that have a penalty at level 1. And I hate penalties at level 1. Yeah, that's a bit wonky. I've got to look at some of the other creatures too, but yeah, I think you're right that they're the only ones with the negative stat. That gives them a net 0 which most races have generally a plus two or plus three. Most of them have a plus three. They have a plus two and a plus one. Some of them, like the half-elf, have a plus two and two plus ones. Right. One day I'm actually going to sit down and go through each class, and I need to average that out for my own mental sake, and then two, it'd be something I can give our listeners that, you know, when it comes time to build or homebrew their own races, that you have an idea of where things stand. Generally, a plus two or a plus three is fairly common, and that seems fair. And right now, we're standing at an even null. So that really, yeah. really sucks for the kobolds. So the obvious thing that I would suggest is removing the minus two to strength. We're going to come back to that in a little bit because kobolds are supposed to be these tiny... I mean, you can only be so strong when you weigh 30 pounds. Unless you're Ant-Man. Unless you're Ant-Man, but kobolds aren't Ant-Man. But we'll come back to that here in a little bit. But now we need to figure out what we're going to be replacing that minus two strength with. And I'm leaning towards either a plus one wisdom or a plus one intelligence. 
Yeah, and we've talked about this either way, and I'm I'm torn on this one. I almost want to give them the plus one, plus one, and give them... Uh, obviously, we definitely want to keep the two to decks. I mean, that just feels good. That's kind of their thing. They're wily. They live underground. They deal with a lot of traps. So that's where we come up with our plus one to intelligence, because they are such good trap makers. They are good tacticians. But then a lot of your situational awareness tends to fall under your wisdom score. So I don't know. Like I said, I almost want to give them a plus one, plus one on that. Because it would balance out correctly, and we are still going to be limiting their strength to a bit as we talk later. So we can go ahead and tentatively put a plus one int plus one whiz on this, and then whenever we review back, whenever we've got everything done, if we feel like we've given them too much, we can make a decision and remove one of those. That sounds good. Okay. So the thing that I was that we were alluding to, kobolds are supposed to be tiny. They're supposed to be puny, and the strongest kobold is not going to really stack up to the strongest of any other race, just because they don't have the physical body for it. So the thing that I suggested, I'm calling it diminutive stature. So we cap their strength at 18 rather than 20. And they can't use heavy armor or weapons with the heavy property. And I know you you took issue with that. A little bit. And it sounds good. So now the cats have come in. So now she's got more things to bark at. It's just going to be one of those nights. It's totally going to be one of those nights. So, yeah, I mean, that sounds good. And that sounds like it fits. But my issue is if you've got a kobold that's sitting there rocking an 18 strength score and you've got a human you know, maybe a sorcerer or a wizard with like an eight strength score, that wizard can still use a heavy weapon, but the kobold can't. I get the size thing. Likewise, you know, a gnome with the size of 18 can still use a heavy weapon or things like that. I believe I don't believe they have a limit on heavy weapons. I know they have disadvantage because they're small. So I get that they physically stature like they couldn't physically handle a giant war mall, which makes sense. It, it feels close, but not quite exactly right that said i have no idea what to put in its place we had talked about just making it so they couldn't use reach weapons because you know a three foot tall kobold with like a 10 foot reach weapon sounds really weird like you know kobold sitting there swinging like a pole arm or something like that but you did bring up the point that just about every weapon that has reach is a heavy weapon with the exceptions of chains and whips which would work perfect for a kobold so that's obviously not an option either right so the weapons that you have in in the player's handbook with the heavy property, you've got glaives, pikes, and halberds, which are your three big melee weapons with reach, and also right. great swords, great axes, and mauls, which are all your two-handed weapons. So they would still be able to use, I think, the only weapons in the player's handbook that have reach and not heavy are the whip and the lance. And the lance has a special property where you have to use two hands if you're not mounted on a steed and you have disadvantage on attacking adjacent enemies. That's built into the weapon. A kobold with a lance seems really, really funny. But it also seems really minute to say, you can use all weapons except for this one. Oh, and this one over here. So I like the no use of heavy weapons. I almost want to say no two-handed weapons, but those are mostly heavy. And if you have something that's crafted well, I mean, a kobold could have a proper two-handed sword, I guess. They would be able to use any versatile weapon two-handed. 
in my mind's eye, I'm kind of thinking like in my imagination when Bilbo finds Sting and he thinks it's a short sword and in reality it was just a dagger, but where he was so small, it acted as a short sword for him. I kind of see the same thing for the kobolds. So yeah, I'm feeling okay with throwing heavy weapons just straight out. They can't use heavy weapons. And the reason why I like the no heavy armor is because they're a race that's built around dexterity and you automatically don't get to add any of your dexterity to your AC if you're wearing heavy armor. And they're going to be, I mean, again, they're small. They're barely three feet tall. The tall ones are. Yeah. You know, they're generally closer to two and a half feet. So yeah, here's a full inflexible thing of heavy plate. It's basically going to be dragging itself on the ground as this person's walking in a metal shell. (laughs) The armor is going to weigh more than them. Yeah, I mean, the armor wouldn't even lift off the ground with them because they'd they'd be pushing a tower shield would be basically (laughs) a mobile tower shield almost. Well, I mean, the tower shield will be twice as tall as them. Yeah, exactly. No, we're not three kobolds trying to get. <laughs> yeah, we're not the three movies. kobolds behind a tower shield. That's silly talk. <laughs> exactly. So yeah, let's the heavy weapons and heavy armor. It's just they're not going to work with these characters. We're giving them some strength so they can actually hit some stuff, which is great. So yeah, let's go ahead and throw those out. Continuing on down the list, age. Uh, kobolds reach adulthood at six and can live up to 120 years, but rarely do so. In the lore section of Volo's Guide, it says that the typical max age for a kobold is about 20 years. It depends. Again, they're very squishy. They can get hyper-aggressive. Squishy and hyper-aggressive is generally not the best combination for a long, long life. And they don't have a lot of a sense of self-preservation. They think more along the lines of the preservation of the tribe, and so they are willing to throw themselves under the bus for the sake of the tribe. That said, the old saying, never fight an old man, you definitely don't want to fight an older kobold. Like, I'm sure Tucker's kobolds were all, like, centurions or more. (laughs) Because if your life is this constant, I'm squishy, everything's going to punt me no matter what. I'm going to give my life for the tribe. And I've lived this long, you know more than a few tricks. So I like this. Again, this is flavor text. We might discuss Age of the Kobold as we build the character out. But the age range for me works. See here. Alignment. Kobolds are fundamentally selfish, making them evil. But their reliance on the strength of their group makes them trend towards law. Again. Yeah. No, no. Just, uh, everybody's evil no matter what. We're punting that right away. That's silly talk. Because I, d- I don't see how you can be selfish and concerned for the tribe. There's a certain amount of selflessness just in what we were saying about the kobold, how they are willing to throw themselves under the bus for the sake of the safety and survival of their tribe. No, I have heard the term xenophobic thrown around to describe kobolds, and that can be fitting. <laughs> Particularly, again, where we talked about where gnomes are involved or anything they might view as a threat to the tribe. So I could see xenophobia, the fear of other races or the dislike of other races yeah, being but, thrown in. Yeah, the thing is, even going off of the lore that's in Volos, it's not that the kobolds are xenophobic. It's that the humanoid races don't like kobolds. Right, the humanoid and therefore they, they, they view them as a threat. And like I said, the, the term xenophobic, I think, was thrown around more in 2nd and 3rd edition, um, not so much Volos. And I, I could see that as a quote-quote selfish, but relying on the tribe. Uh, still, that's a weird flavor text. Uh, if you want to go with that with your world building and your character building, you can. You could make a good argument for it. I personally wouldn't. So yeah, the alignment right out, 
whether a character in itself is going to be good, neutral, or chaotic is up to the character. Depending on the DM, it doesn't really have a lot to do with the game itself generally. It can, particularly if they want to be a cleric maybe, but meh. And this plays back to a point that I made in the Orc episode. They are being portrayed as evil because the humanoid races don't like them. It's the same reason why the humanoids think that the orcs are evil. It's the same reason why the dwarves think the dwergar are evil. It's the same reason why the elves think the drow are evil. Which, let's be honest, the drow are slavers. Slavery in the way that the drow do it is definitively evil. And that's probably like, I don't want to say it's a redeeming feature, but that's like the least of the drow sins, honestly. The The drow have a lot a lot going against them in the the morality department. They kind of do. The other reason why kobolds are evil is they are your first, second, third level cannon fodder generally. So your party can feel, hey, we did a good thing by slaughtering two dozen critters versus we went out and kicked two dozen puppies or we kicked two dozen kobolds. Everybody's going to feel, oh, well, they're evil. So yeah, let's kick them twice. It's not genocide if they're evil, right? That's right. Depending on how you want to play the game, there can be a lot of wonky storytelling with D&D. Fortunately, unfortunately, you can explore a lot of questions. Some of those games can be really fun and interesting. Some of them can really sit kind of weird with you. That's storytelling DM. But yeah, let's go ahead and drop the evil alignment. I would say even flaw is kind of suggestion. That's obviously up to players because in an individual, even if your society is completely made of douchebags, you might have a really good person. And even if your society is completely angelic and full of saints, you still have Lucifer popping up in there every once in a while. And as a full disclaimer, neither I nor James, as representatives of under common taste or as individuals, condone genocide. No, we do not. (laughs) We will put that out there just in case there's any question. Genocide bad. Genocide is bad. Okay. Don't do it. Okay. Size... Kobolds are between 2 and 3 feet tall and weigh between 25 and 35 pounds. Your size is small. Well, I should certainly hope so. Yes, they're tiny little ankle biters. They're toddlers. My bulldogs are about the height of a kobold and probably weigh twice as much. Speed, your base walking speed is 30 feet. Which is actually... I like that. I, I like that because they are these tiny little dexterous things. Yeah, so considering they're small, they're actually kind of quick because most of your small creatures have a walking speed of only 20 feet. 25. So that's actually kind of a bit of a thing that wizards kind of gave them a tip of the hat. You're quick. Okay, you're light on your feet. Good job. Yeah, but by comparison, halflings, which are also quick and light on their feet, are a 25-foot movement speed. So so that was a nice little tip of the hat they got. Oh, now your favorite, but again, fitting for this class, or this race rather. Yeah. Dark vision. You can see in dim light up to 60 feet as if it were bright light and darkness as if it were dim light. You can't discern color in darkness, only shades of gray. This works for kobolds because they are a subterranean race. Yes, and this does come with a little price for them later on, which we get to address later on. I am good with this. I'm good with dark vision for this race. Again, they're subterranean. They have some other features that kind of play into this. I like it. It fits very well with the race. It's one of the few that it actually makes a whole lot of sense for them to have dark vision. Next one is Grovel, Cower, and Beg. As an action on your turn, you can cower pathetically to distract nearby foes. Until the end of your next turn, 
All allies gain advantage on attack rolls against enemies within 10 feet of you that can see you. Once you use this trait, you can't use it again until you finish a short or long rest. I really, really hate this ability. Yeah, this is um, terrible. Because the whole thing about a D&D character is that it's supposed to be a heroic character. Not speaking in terms of your actions, but in terms of your abilities. You're supposed to be an exemplar of your race, an exemplar of your class, and being an exemplar that cowers and grovels and begs, they don't fit. They don't mesh. I read one forum that basically said that this ability was, you know, use your action to tuck your tail and pee on yourself to distract the enemy. And while that sounds vulgar, it's basically what they're doing. This is absolutely terrible. Now, granted, giving your allies advantage on attack is nice, but doing it this way? No, no, no. There's got to be a better way. So the suggestion that I came up with that I proposed was something I'm calling coordinated attack. So whenever you have advantage on an attack roll, you may choose to give up that advantage to allow another creature within five feet of your target to use their reaction and make an attack of opportunity. I like this. This sounds good. So basically you're giving up your advantage. So you're giving up basically a plus five on attack to give someone else an extra attack roll. So they're still, regardless, the die roll is there. I think in the long term, this does balance out. Though, honestly, with this cower, beg, grovel, it gives everyone an advantage on attacking whoever can see you. So that is a fairly wide-ranging ability. You could potentially give your entire party advantage on attacks against six different creatures over the course of a turn with the ability as written, but it just doesn't feel right. It really doesn't. So I like I like your offering. Especially playing into the abilities that we're going to be getting to later on, especially pack tactics specifically, where right. it's so easy for you to get advantage as a kobold that being able to use that advantage for something other than rolling a second d20 on an attack roll. The other thing I kind of came up with and we talked about, and it fits in a way, and I, I would kind of call it dogpile. My thing would be if the kobold somehow attacked or grappled or grabbed or somehow engaged a target or an enemy. So if they attacked or grappled or grabbed the enemy, kind of like if you've ever had a toddler or a young child sit there and kind of grab your leg and hang onto it while dragging them across the room. If it was that kind of thing where they're small, so they would impose a disadvantage on any saving throw and give advantage on any attack row. So the target would have disadvantage on all rolls. All attacks against the target would have advantage. Ian's point was, I mean, I'll let you bring up your point against that, and it is a fair point. My point against that is that kobolds tend to try to avoid direct confrontation with the things that are trying to eat them. Unless they have numbers. And if they do have numbers, they do swarm. So again, I kind of go back and forth on this. I'm leaning more towards Ian's. It does fit a little better. The dog pile for me, again, it balances a bit more with it gives everybody the attack on the target. We can go either way. I am leaning more towards Ian's personally, though, so we'll probably go with that. I mean, I kind of like it, but it's very niche. 
I wouldn't see it as niche because if you have if you had a paladin, a warrior, a rogue, a monk, I mean, all of these would be as a because you can grapple as a bonus reaction, I think, or a bonus no. action. I don't think it's a full action to grapple. Yes, it is. <laughs> it is an attack action to grapple. Okay. But the other thing that you have to consider is that they are small, so they can only grapple medium-sized creatures and smaller. But also going back with kobold lords, they are willing to sacrifice themselves for the good of the tribe. In this case, the good of the party. So if they thought they could basically throw themselves under the bus to give their party an advantage to take down a foe, would they do it? I mean, probably. So I I could see a melee character doing that and basically throwing himself down, tangling up a person's leg while the big orc or the human guy can sit there and smash him up with a hammer. Again, I do like both. You know, talking about it, I lean a bit more towards my dog pile because it does give more attack opportunity on the target, which the Cower Gravel Beg does as well. And even still, that's only the one target versus that was against all targets that could see within 10 feet. I mean, like I said, that's actually a fairly strong ability with a really, really crappy way to pull it off. And then the other thing we would do, again, we talked about we can, we'll come back to it later after we finish languages, because there was one more thing I really did want to add to the kobolds that I think is missing. It's just, it's flavor, but again, it would add in with dog piles, so we can, we can brush up on that later if you want. So, keeping on going down the list, pack tactics. You have advantage on an attack roll against a creature if at least one of your allies is within five feet of the creature and the ally isn't incapacitated. This is a really powerful ability. This is really, really strong. I would say it's almost imbalanced if it wasn't almost immediately balanced by the next trait they get. I kind of like this. Again, this goes in with that whole swarming mentality, the working as a group. I like this ability for the kobold. And I think we are going to leave it unchanged. Yeah, this is the one thing they did right. This and Dark Vision. (laughs) (laughs) The next one, Sunlight Sensitivity. You have disadvantage on attack rolls and wisdom perception checks that rely on sight when you, the target of your attack, or whatever you are trying to perceive, is in direct sunlight. This is what balances out pack tactics. Because if you're outside in the daytime, you're going to have disadvantage on all of your attack rolls. Unless an ally is within, is adjacent to what you're trying to hit, in which case it becomes a flat roll. I would actually even go a step further with this. I would say, because if you're used to being underground, I would say if you were in bright light, no matter what. So even if you were indoors and it was extremely well lit, it's kind of like when you walk out of the theater into the sun or you walk out of the theater, even in the lobby, you kind of get that glare off of everything. So I would extend sunlight sensitivity to any kind of bright light. So not necessarily direct sunlight, but even bright indoors. I don't know about that. That's... I think that's too much. I think that's a bit much. Okay. But yeah, this does work really, really well with that pack tactics. I think these two add a lot because it is going to make you think of how you're going to position and play your character. And I think those two traits together was really, really well done. Whenever I was rolling up my character for your game, I tried to talk you out of making me take sunlight sensitivity. And we talked about it for a while. And after a while, I came around realizing, yeah. These two actually do work really well together as a check and balance sort of deal. But the reason why I wouldn't want to change it from direct sunlight to bright light is because if you make it bright light, 90% of your attack rolls are going to have disadvantage. Because so many of your encounters are going to take place in bright light because your humans are going to need bright light in order to be able to see the things. Yeah, and when I say bright light, uh, I'm using 
that for lack of a better term for an extremely overlay room or if someone starts chucking sunstones at your feet, obviously you're going to be a bit dazzled by that. Again, I don't have the words or the exact phrasing to phrase it the way I want. And since I don't have that, let's leave it as it is. Well, and I don't think that the lighting rules in D&D have the term that you need to do. Probably not. What you're wanting to do. Now, for me, I, I will throw this out as we've discussed. I do have Tourette's and there are other things that come with this. I have sensory fixations. So for me personally, something like the sunlight sensitivity kind of ties in. If, if there's something sparkly, I fixate on a spark. I will fixate on certain sensory perceptions. So some Something is extremely bright. Again, if there's something that's particularly glittery or sparkly, I will instantly fixate on that. And again, my perception rolls after that are completely null because I am focused. Or if I go from something really quiet to really loud, it can be overwhelming. If I go from a place that's really dim to really bright, I personally get dazzled and I have a hard time. Not a hard time, but it does take me a little bit extra long to adjust to that. So I am coming in from a first person perspective when I'm trying to deal with this. And again, I don't quite have the exact words or foundations I want to build that scenario. So I've got it in my head. I just can't quite get it down on paper yet. That's fair enough. The last thing on here is the languages. Uh, You can speak, read, and write common and draconic. Yeah, these languages make sense. They're good. You get two solid languages. Some races get three. I'm not too worried about throwing in that third language, so this is good. What now, thir- the one what thing third I language? really... What? What third language? Uh, if anything, I'd throw in a goblinoid language of some sort, because if they are underground, they would have some sort of interaction. That or dwarvish, perhaps. But again, eh, it makes a lot of sense that they just have the two. I'm not really gung-ho about you know, mandating they need a third one. If they want to, they can pick up a feat or they have other, you know, depending on the background the character chooses, there's a way they could pick up extra languages. So we'll leave that to the character. Yeah, I misunderstood what you were saying. I thought you were wanting to tack on a third language. So I'm perfectly fine with Common and Draconic being the only two languages that they know. Yeah, I'm good with that. The one thing I do want to add on to the Kobolds, these are small feisty little draconic things. This would actually tie in really well if we wound up doing the dog pile versus uh, what we were calling yours again. I, I Coordinated attack. Coordinated attack. I kind of want to give them some sharp teeth. I'm seeing something kind of like Stitch from Lilo and Stitch. Just a small, angry, bitey character. So uh, make them proficient with a 1d4 unarmed piercing attack. I would even go as far to say that if we were going to throw in the dog pile, if they use their bite, they would get an advantage on a grapple check. So basically, they're going to bite and latch on. Instead of what you're suggesting, if they hit with a bite attack, allow them to initiate a grapple as a bonus action. I would be great with that. That would work perfect. Because yeah. I'm pretty sure that some other creatures like wolves have that, where if they succeed on a bite attack, they get to initiate a grapple as a bonus action. Okay. Yeah. And so that could work in. So again, the question is, is do we want to use the dog pile or do we want to use the coordinate attack or do we want to somehow try to blend those two things? That's something that we need to discuss at a little bit more length because the way that your dog pile is right now is something that can happen every single time they try and grapple something, which it being a strength-based check, they may not actually succeed on that grapple very often. Right. They would be using a bite attack versus any kind of weapon attack, so it's going to be a lesser attack anyway. And again, this would definitely be for more of your melee characters, so your warriors, your monks, things like that, which they're going to have to stack that strength score anyway, so this would only be for your stronger characters to really try, unless they took the feat where you could substitute your dexterity score on top instead of your strength score. 
for certain roles. So you would actually need to build your character towards this to make it strong, not necessarily useful, but to make it stronger. You would tend to build your character towards that, which also leads to the feature that it would depend on the kobold that would want to do it. Right, but compare that to what I'm wanting to do. You give up your advantage to grant another creature an attack of opportunity. That's going to be a once per short or long rest. But the thing with coordinated attack is you're going to be sacrificing your advantage to grant another creature an attack of opportunity, but it's going to happen once per short to long rest. Whereas Dogpile is going to potentially, if you're rolling well and if you're statted right, you're going to be granting your party advantage on attack rolls against a creature or imposing disadvantage on that creature's saving throws for just about every round in a combat. And that can end up being very unbalanced. I see where you're going with that. That's the thing about your racial abilities, especially ones like this, is a lot of them have that once per short or long rest, or once rest. per long rest caveat on them because they would be too powerful to let someone use them a whole bunch of Otherwise. times in sequence. I can get behind that. I mean, I love it. It feels good. It feels like it should work, but I'm concerned about the balancing for that. We could likewise put it once per rest, or maybe we need to move to a specific archetype later on. We can shelf this as a component to use for something else later. Because whenever you grapple someone, their speed becomes zero. So they is can't. That grappled or restra- I thought that, that was is strange. grappled. Okay. A grappled creature's speed becomes zero, and it can't benefit from any bonus to its speed. A restrained creature is at disadvantage to make attacks, and attacks against it have advantage. So basically what you're doing with your dog pile is you are allowing your kobold to restrain on a grapple. Yeah, I see where that's a little broken. It feels really close, but not quite right. I would even be willing to restrain. Let it restrain on a grapple with a bite. Maybe like a instead of a grapple, make it like a paralytic saliva with a DC check. So it's like more like a Komodo dragon. And again, that kind of ties in with some of the draconic heritage to a point flavor. Again, maybe that's something we build into a class later on, or maybe just a full homebrew. Maybe we can build a uh, kobold subtype later on. But I think that this is just going to be too unwieldy to balance. Yeah, I see where you're going. And like I said, it sounds fun. It feels close. It just needs... It's not quite there yet. So yeah, let's go ahead and table this one. We will definitely go with the coordinated attack for now. We might build another kobold type later on that that we could throw this in on. Maybe we'll have some nice green kobold with some good poison dragon heritage. Yeah, a green or a black. So do we want to keep the teeth with that as well? I mean, I like the idea of giving them the sharp pointy teeth anyway. I think we should give them... A 1d4 plus strength bite attack. Okay. Um, the tabaxi get a 1d4 plus strength slashing attack with their claws. Yeah. So I think that kobolds should get a little bite attack that they can use for an unarmed attack that they're proficient with. For piercing? Yeah, it's just piercing instead of slashing. Because, you know, it's, it's a 1d4 plus strength. So you're, you're not going to be dealing a whole lot of damage with it. It's going to be something that you're going to be using as a last resort. You're going to be using it in the bar fight. You're going to be using it when you get arrested and you have to scrap with the guard to try and get away. When the ooze eats your sword. When the ooze eats your sword. You're going to bite the ooze. Okay. Probably not a good idea. And the one other thing that I would like to add, if we can, is because they are 
an ambush predator. And they do sneak attacks, and they do traps, and their pot shots, and they never fight fair if they can avoid it. To borrow the line from the Dresden Files, if it's a fair fight, you're doing it wrong. I want to add a little thing where if they are hidden when you roll initiative, then they get advantage on their first attack. You want to give them advantage on their first attack? I like that. We had also talked about just giving them an advantage or a bonus straight to their initiative so they did get the attack off. Actually, sorry, that is not what I had written down. (laughs) (laughs) It would help if I look at my things because I think you automatically get advantage on your attack if you are hidden. That was, I believe the bugbears have that. Bugbears bugbears get additional damage if they surprise their target on the first round. Gotcha. So what I had suggested was If you're hidden when you roll initiative, you get to add your wisdom bonus to your initiative. And I would be great with that. And that sounds, again, you have your awareness of your surroundings. You kind of get that bonus for that ambush attack. So you you are more likely to get that first hit in. This feels good. This feels like it works with the character. So yes, I do like that. So for attributes, we have plus two dex. And currently it's plus one int, plus one wisdom. Diminutive stature. Strength caps at 18, and you can't use heavy armor or weapons with a heavy property. Coordinated attack, you can sacrifice your advantage to grant another creature an attack of opportunity. We need to establish parameters for that. Is it going to be, say, a creature within 30 feet of you? or is I'd it... say a creature within 5 feet. Maybe 10? Let's, that, let's that say give within, you... within 10 feet of the creature you're attacking. Because it's got to be an attack of opportunity against the creature that you're attacking. Okay, because that makes sense. That gives you your space, the creature's space, and then the attack of opportunity space between you and the next target. Yeah, so that allows creatures who have uh, reach weapons to make attacks of opportunity. That allows creatures with the the warcaster feat to cast spells as an attack of opportunity. That allows you to make a ranged spell attack without taking disadvantage for attacking in melee. You'd be able to grant an attack to someone with a ranged weapon, as long as they're within 10 feet. Um, of your target. We do need to specify that, otherwise it'd be, oh, I'm going to take an attack of opportunity on this guy over here, and that wouldn't work. So, attack of opportunity on your target, so yes. And I'm not going to word it as make an attack of opportunity, I'm going to word it as... Use your reaction to make an attack against the same target, which now is that which are real member? Which no, a single party member. Okay, you grant one creature an attack as a reaction. They can use their reaction to make that attack. Okay, so there is still a limiter there, and that fits too because again, you want that high initiative roll. So, like if if you're at the back of the party. You've obviously, everyone's used their turn reaction, so it wouldn't work for that turn. So again, that kind of goes into that kind of jump in quick first mob on top of the creatures. I do like that. And that's only going to be used once per short rest, I assume? Yeah, once per short or long rest. I had toyed with the idea of being able to use it multiple times, but you can use it on each ally once per long rest. The- if anything, I would say maybe even once per combat it's one extra attack so i mean if you've got you know a combat the last five or six rounds it's not going to swing it huge if you've got but it could because if you did it that way you could cycle through your entire party so that's why i was saying if you do it once 
per combat round, then it only lasts for one turn. So it only it literally would be one extra attack per combat round. It wouldn't be I gave him an attack opportunity on this creature and he gets it each round it pops. But what I'm suggesting is we're going to be having this four-person party. We're going to have the rogue, who's going to be the kobold here, and then we're going to have a fighter, a wizard, and a cleric. The way that I was suggesting it is the first turn, if he has advantage, he can give that up to give the fighter an attack as a reaction. And then the next turn, he could give up his advantage to give the cleric an attack. And then the next turn, he could give up his advantage to give the wizard an attack. And that's why I was saying I was toying with that idea, but making it to where you can only affect each creature once per long rest, as opposed to once per combat or once per short rest. Because that would make it a little more tactical, because if you're able to take a short rest after every single fight, basically you're giving each member of your party a whole extra attack every single combat. I can see that, and that works. The way I was envisioning this was, again, it was one attack per combat. So generally, it'd probably be on that first or round or whenever. If you had advantage, you could sacrifice that advantage to give an extra attack to a party member or a creature. And it would be, again, one turn per combat, whether or not there was a rest in between. So it would wind up being just an extra attack. And that's what it is right now. That is how I proposed it, but it's once per short to long rest because that's the metric that is the standard metric in 5e for a once per combat because... You can take that short rest whenever. Yeah, and, you know, let's say you're fighting and one of the dudes that you're fighting runs away and you chase him and you end up catching up to him, but now he's with his new buddies and they're fighting again. Is that a new combat or is that a continuation? That clears up all of that gray area it it's does. like it did did you take a short rest no no then you can't use it again i like it and clarity with rules is something i do enjoy so yeah i do like that so we will go with that so you get that once per long or short rest. i was just bringing up that other one was something that i was toying with that i was trying to fiddle with and the reason i decided not to do it that way primarily was the bookkeeping aspect of it you have to keep track of which people at the table you've granted that extra attack to and which ones you haven't since your last long rest by doing it this way you have it once if you use it you get it back the next time you take a rest it's a whole lot simpler to keep track of right and if you let things get out too far out of control with D, it's really easy to require an accounting degree to keep all of your (laughs) absolutely absolutely yeah i I like that let's keep it simple all right so we're keeping pack tactics the way it is we're keeping sunlight sensitivity the way it is we're keeping our languages where they're at common and draconic we're adding a bite attack a 1d4 piercing bite attack that if you hit you can initiate a grapple as a bonus action We're doing a 1d4 plus strength? Yes. Okay. It is a strength bonus attack. So instead of the base of 1 plus your strength for a standard unarmed strike, standard punch somebody, you're going to get a 1d4 plus your strength piercing damage. Because you have a natural weapon, it should be more efficient and more painful than just a hit. Just a punch. Yeah, I mean, I'd rather get punched in the face than take a mouthful of teeth to the face, personally. Well, you don't want Florida Man to eat your face? 
on no, bath salts? So <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I definitely, definitely do not. So I think we have a kobold. Wait, and the one other thing, the one more thing is ambush predator. So if you're hidden at the start of combat, you get to add your wisdom modifier to your initiative roll. Yes, and now we have a kobold. And now we have a kobold. Awesome. I think this is going to be a really fun character to work with. I'm really looking forward to it. So next time we meet, hopefully if everything goes as planned, because nothing ever goes as planned, we will start looking at our rogue and some of the archetypes for the rogue. Do you have a particular type that you think you want to work on, or do we need to kind of discuss and weigh that out to see what Um, we want to play with? I was thinking the thief. Again, that's the one that is in the free rules that you can get, the free basic rules that you can get from Wizard of the Coast Online. But again, I haven't really looked a whole lot into the thief in particular. The one archetype that I have the most familiarity with is the assassin, which is a very strong archetype and one that wouldn't really need a whole lot of work. So we can look into it and see if we find one. I think what we'll do is we'll look through and see if we can find one that we think we can improve on, and then we'll use that whenever we come back. Sounds like a plan. Thank you for joining us for the Undercommon Taste podcast. If you enjoyed it, please pass it along to your friends. If you have comments, corrections, suggestions, or ideas, please feel free to send them to us at undercommontaste at gmail.com. If we like your idea, it may make it into a future episode. You can also find us on Twitter under the handle at UCT Homebrew and on Instagram and Facebook under Undercommon Taste. Our theme music is Massacre Anne, written and performed by Mary Crowell and used with permission. You can find Mary online at marycrowell.bandcamp.com or on Patreon at patreon.com slash drmarycrowell. Again, thank you for joining us, and stay safe. You'll hear from us again soon.